Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Riverfront. This is episode number 444 of the world's most dangerous podcast, where we discuss the Cincinnati Reds and occasionally Lisa Alberto Benilla. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me this week is my guy, Nate Dotson. How are you, Nate? I am spectacular, Chad. Thank you for asking. Having a good hair day. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, <laughs> What's that? I don't know. Weather's uh, weather's cooling down a little bit. Fall is in the air. It's a beautiful time of year. How are you doing? Oh, I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful, and we'll talk about why I'm wonderful because of the performance of our Cincinnati Reds in in a moment. But before we go any further, uh, just let me let me get this out of the way. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Smash the subscribe button. Okay, you can just hit the like button, but you have to smash the subscribe button. If you're listening to us on the audio version of the show, why not subscribe and have my dulcet tones delivered to your phone every single week? I mean, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. We're everywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're on Amazon Music. We're on Audible now. We're on iHeartRadio. We're everywhere. Um, and then one more thing, this show would not be possible without the support of our Patreon family. So if you want to go a little deeper, help keep the ship afloat, maybe you get a couple of rewards in the process, it's a reward. Why not join us? Go to patreon.com slash riverfrontcincy or click the link in the show notes. Nate, this has not been a banner week for the Cincinnati Reds. They usually aren't. Um, this one's been particularly gross for the entire city of Cincinnati. But there have been some positive things that we can touch on. Oh, we've got some fun things to talk about. No doubt no doubt about that. <laughs> but we, we have to start here, which is that... Since we last uh, joined you here on uh, at the Riverfront, uh, the Reds have lost six in a row. Ooh. They uh, lost, dropped two of three to Milwaukee, and they lost four games, swept in a four-game series at home against the Pittsburgh Pirates. First time the Pirates swept the Reds at Great American Ballpark. First time they swept the Reds uh, in Cincinnati since 1991. And, you know, I guess we should probably mention because uh, you've been doing uh, the Riverfront Bengals show with our, our friend Joe Farsing. And um, uh, and, and that we're, that, that's been in your podcast feeds. As you know, it's going to move to its own podcast feed at some point. So um, hang with us there and, and like, follow all that stuff. But uh, they also lost, the, the Bengals also lost to the, the uh, Steelers. So screw Pittsburgh. I'm telling you, the city of Pittsburgh just FedExed a big turd sandwich over to the Queen City. It was inappropriate. It was rude and crude, socially unacceptable. No good time right now. Exactly. Exactly. Pittsburgh can uh, can just take a hike. Screw you. And that reminds me, actually, Nate, we have our first viewer mail question of the day. We'll go ahead and dive into those Early, this one comes from the aforementioned Joe Farsing, one of our hosts of the Riverfront Bengal Show. And here's uh, Joe's uh, question. It begins like this. Pittsburgh sucks. <laughs> There's more, but I, I just wanted to emphasize that, that part of it. I went to the stadium formerly known as Heinz Field to watch my Bearcats, that's the uh, University of Cincinnati Bearcats, uh, beat the Panthers in 2009. Instant classic. You should watch the highlights. It's a rel relatively modern stadium, opened in 2001. It had the usual amenities, as one would expect, but the men's bathrooms had troughs instead of urinals. Troughs. 
like we're freaking pigs eating slop. Everyone just hanging out over a gigantic basin, draining the lizard. From what I've researched, they still use them. What in the hell, man? That's his question. Nate, can you, do you have an answer for that? What in the hell, man? I am curious as to Joe did to find out that they still used them. Um, that doesn't seem like a great situation. I don't know. Um, I don't typically hate on Pittsburgh as much as some other people, but they get they get the fury this week. I think we all feel the same way that Jamar Chase felt when flipping the bird to Minka Fitzpatrick. It just we didn't deserve it. Reds fans didn't deserve it. Bengals fans, the city of Cincinnati did not deserve the treatment they got from Pittsburgh. And now, all of a sudden, we're fighting only a game and a half up for last place in the NL Central. Oh, Screw you, Pittsburgh. Screw you. You know, I've, I've, I've actually spent some some good times in the uh, the city of Pittsburgh, as much as I hate to say it. I'm not going to say anything more because I don't, I don't want to – this is not the week to be saying anything positive about that town or their lousy fans. Um, but but I, I will say I, I did not know they had the troughs at uh, at the stadium there. Uh, but I'll tell you this. I have been to a stadium where they have those troughs, and it's uh, called Wrigley Field, home of another group of garbage players <laughs> and fans, the stupid Cubs. So there's, there's, a, there's kind of a, 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 a through line here. I will say this though: one of the funniest videos I've ever seen on the uh, on the internets. Now, you know, on the on the uh, on the interwebs, they have they have the videos. You can see those now. On Ooh. there's one that you need to go and uh, search. It's a Cubs fan at Wrigley Field, um, many many beers in, taking a, a run and diving no. at first into the trough and sliding all the way to the end. It's disgusting and hilarious at the same time, but you also get to see a Cubs fan covered in urine. So, win-win. Disgusting disgusting and hilarious just describes being a Cubs fan in general. So, Exactly. I'm going to go a little hot take right here. I don't mind the trough. I don't mind the trough. The urinals, unless they're automatic, you're going to go push the thing down all the time and get everybody's pee hand germs all over you. You don't want to do that. (laughs) Trough takes care of that problem. You don't have to stand in urine splatter. Yeah, you get the proximity issue. People will look close, but in my experience, using troughs, people tend to mind their own business. And if they don't, well, you know, congratulate them on a job well done, and you move move on with your day. Don't mind. We're the seven. We're seven minutes in, and we've already gone completely off the rails. Nate, come on, get out of here with that ridiculous take. Uh, Nate, uh, let's get into the Reds' uh, news of the week, I guess. Uh, but the first, before we actually get into the news, there is a question I keep getting on the twitters. And uh, I wanted to get your, your opinion on it. And, and um, it's people are like apologizing for even asking the question because it's not his fault that the Reds stink. But I, I keep getting this question, should David Bell be fired? And we, we've, had, we've had this question for the last four years on this show. We've debated it. But do you have any thoughts yeah. about uh, David Bell? I mean, first off, I, I don't know how much of this team's performance is his fault. Um, he certainly doesn't seem to be getting any more out of his guys than is expected. They're not they're not playing above their abilities by any means. Um, he's 36 games under 500 as a manager going into recording. I don't know. I think it depends on strategy, right? If they are just going to 
sign a bunch of rentals just to get through next season, then yeah, keep him, sure. But if they're going to use next season to bring up some of those uh, you know closer top prospects, it might make sense to figure out who that next person is going to be that you want to lead the young fellas and go ahead and get started. So I guess that's it. I don't know. David Bell's yeah. not good, but I don't know how bad he is either. Right. I, th- I mean, I think you're you're, you're right. I, I think my my actual answer would be, though, would be who cares? I mean, really, who cares at this point? Um, he's not been given a team to work with. But I've said it over and over here, and I still say that the the times uh, that during David Bell's managerial career where his teams have overperformed expectations are um, few and far between. So I don't think there's any evidence that he's a good manager. There, there's no, well, I'll say it. There's no evidence he's a good manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you make an argument he's just an average manager. And so I've said that over and over. I won't dive into it more, but I think he's just a, your ordinary average manager that does dumb stuff sometimes and yells at umpires occasionally. And no, he's not the guy to lead us into the next uh, generation, next good Reds team. But if he's managing the Reds next year, it's it's really a, a push. I mean, I don't, I, who cares, really? So I asked you a question that the answer that I – my answer was, who cares, which is probably not a good way to start, start the show with that question. Let's talk about the news of the week, Nate. Um, you may have heard about this thing called Reds Fest. Well, Reds Fest is returning to downtown Cincinnati after a two-year hiatus. You get a chance to hopefully meet all 98 Reds that played this year at the Duke Energy Convention Center in downtown Cincinnati on December 2nd and 3rd. Um, Tickets will uh, will go on sale November the seventh. Uh, Nate Reds Fest. Uh, let me just say this: um, I, I, I'm probably not going to Reds Fest. I, I doubt they're going to invite me to have a booth uh, or for us to do the show there <laughs> live at, at Reds Fest. But um, uh, I, two things: I would consider going to Reds Fest before I would consider going to Great American Ballpark. Because I just learned that the proceeds from Reds Fest go to uh, charity. So if that's true, I don't know if it's true. I, I, didn't, I didn't do any research. I didn't prepare for this show. Uh, <laughs> I don't want, want anyone to think that I would do that. But if that's the case, all right, it's not going into Bob and Phil's pocket. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, I've had a good time at Reds Fest many times in the past. And I don't care about autographs. Never gotten an autograph at one of them. I don't care about the lines. But it's just a good time of Reds fans hanging out. And um, I've always had a, had a fun time. Uh, Nate, any thoughts about Reds Fest? It would be difficult for me to be less excited about that announcement. I imagine <laughs> that there's a scenario where they keep some of the guys that were on the team going into uh, this last offseason. That might generate some excitement. It might you know, go see some of your favorite players. If you have kids, sure, it's got to be a really cool experience for uh, young boys and girls to go and see some of these professional athletes. Right now, I mean, who are you going to go see? I mean, if, if they can get Joey Votto there, yeah, of course, that's awesome. But there's just not a lot of uh, not a lot of star power. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I am gonna have to kind of uh, disagree with you a little bit there. You know, you take your wow. kid to go see Chase Anderson or Buck Farmer. I mean, you know, Derek Ian Gibo. Come on, that's a good point. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but it, uh, it's it's one thing that the Reds have done have done well. Um, they usually have like a Q and A with the general manager or somebody there. I can't, I, I can't believe they'll Ugh. do that. Maybe they will, but um, boy, I'd like to be there for that. But again, I had a good time meeting a lot of people that I've met uh, throughout this, uh, you know, the 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 podcast and all that. And uh, Chris Garber and I uh, 
we signed books at Reds Fest one year. And so that was fun, you know, to do a book signing at Reds Fest. So I have fond memories of it, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I might like to go just to try to, you know, sow some discord among uh, Reds fans and see if I can get it. Now we're out. talking. Let's get some, get some mischief involved in this situation. I like it. We can treat it as the, uh, the most boring version of Burning Man. <laughs> exactly. Let's do it. Uh, we did have a viewer mail question. Again, these questions come from our friends at patreon.com slash Riverfront where you too can support this uh, this wacky show. Hooper Pal asks this question. Will the Reds have Phil Castellini in a dunk tank at Reds Fest? That would be a great idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> I like how Hooper tosses out an idea and then immediately praises himself for giving us a great idea. <laughs> uh, which is, uh, yes, I, I'm okay with that. Uh, Nobody with would her. say good things about me if, if I didn't say them myself. Um, but... Now, I would absolutely do that. Yeah. I would absolutely I would pay for that drunk tank. Take or, back uh, everything I just no. said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be fantastic. You know, the truth is, a uh, a an ownership group that had more self-awareness and less in, entitlement than the Castellinis would do something like that. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. Seriously, it's never going to happen. It's a joke, obviously. Uh, but if Phil Castellini came out and said, guys, I screwed this thing up bad, and he should have done that six weeks ago. He did say some things to the season ticket holders behind closed doors. If he'd come out and said, man, I really screwed this up. I gotta, I'm got i going to fix it. You know, he, he should have done that months ago. But what if he did that at Redsman and said, I'm getting in the, in the dunk tank. Throw it at me. Yell at me. <laughs> whatever. I deserve it. How much would that change the average fan's idea of uh, of the Castellinis. I mean, I don't think they'll change anything that they're actually going to do, but I don't know. I just uh, for as a PR move, it would be great. I, it's never going to happen. Yeah, I've never seen them do anything that makes them appear more likable, so <laughs> exactly. Can't hurt exactly. Um, all right, moving on news of the week. This is not necessarily red specific, but I'm going to make it uh, I'm going to circle it back around to the Reds. The Major League Baseball announced some uh, some new rules supposedly to be implemented in the 2023 season. The Major League Baseball Competition Committee uh, voted on um, a, a pitch clock for pitchers, how long a pitcher can uh, you know, hold the ball basically between pitches, uh, no more extreme shifting, oh. and uh, uh, larger bases, and number of pickoff attempts are going to be limited as well. We, you know, we can dive deep into the details if you want, but those are essentially the big, uh, the big, uh, you know, uh, proposed rule changes. Now, um, I'll just kind of give you my my thoughts quickly, and then you can say whatever you like, Nate. But um, pitch clock, bring it on. I'm all for it. Um, the shifts. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know. I, but baseball is not as much fun to watch. And it, if it's an idea to try to get more balls in play, and um, you know, if a ball's hit hard up the middle. It should be a hit <laughs> like it was our whole lives. Um, maybe this is old man yelling at cloud stuff. So I, if, if, no. if it can help us go back to, to more balls in play, more uh, you know players making plays on balls, I'm all for getting rid of the shift. Um, and I, I accept blame. I was all in on the analytics uh, a long time ago until they ruined the aesthetic, uh, uh, you know, the beauty of baseball. Larger bases, I you know, whatever. I don't, it has, I, I don't care. You know, limited pickoff throws. I don't know. All that, all that, it all sounds fine to me. I don't have any issues with any of it. Every sport changes. Basketball put in a shot clock many years ago. And so uh, people are screaming about the pitch clock. But whatever. Uh, you know, I think it's worth trying anyway. So any thoughts about these? 
Yeah, I'm uh, a big fan, big proponent of the pitch clock. Uh, we've been to a few minor league games here, and they're over quickly. You know, two and a half hours. I get the, the, the sort of thought that more baseball is better, right? But the fact of the matter is, that's, that's true when you're 21 years old or younger. When you get older and you have jobs and you have families, it stinks that I am ready for bed three innings before almost every Reds game finishes. If I can yeah. know that a 640 start time is going to end by 9-10, 9-15, then I get to watch so many more Reds games. Um, and it seems like they have shaved about half an hour in the minor leagues, and you just don't realize it. Like You don't know that it's happening. The only argument I have heard, only legit argument against the pitch clock, is um, that maybe it makes pitchers more likely to get injured. If that's the case, somebody needs to really do the research, do the, do the study, and, and figure out what to uh, how to handle that. But otherwise, I support all these changes. We have a viewer mail question later, so I'll go on my shift rant later. But I support all of them. More athleticism, more 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 steals, more doubles in the gap, more web gems. Yeah, right. I mean, it's that's what baseball. Uh, more highlights. Yeah. More highlights than somebody hitting a ball up straight up the middle hard and go hitting it right to the third baseman, you know, behind second base. Um, you know, I, I, I guess the, the way I, I look at it is that, um, well, let's put it in this context. Joey Votto, you've heard of Joseph Daniel Votto. He's the uh, yeah, all-time, all-time great red. He was on a podcast, Jay uh, Stark's podcast, um, called Starkville. Jason Stark and Doug Glanville, former MLB player. And if you haven't listened to it, I'd encourage you to go go listen to that. It's a really interesting uh, podcast because Joey, as always, is Joey. And he surprised me a little bit. He's all in on these things. Yeah. You know, um, he said uh, specifically, I love that there's going to be a pitch clock. He said, I love the larger base. That's a quote. Um, Anything to make the game more athletic, he said, which is, which, is, which is fantastic. But he also said something that speaks to what you just mentioned, which is that this is where I'm kind of torn. The thing that I've always loved about baseball, more than anything else in baseball, is that it's the sport where you have to give the other guy a shot. You, ha the, you have to get the other guy out. The clock doesn't run out on you. You have to give them a chance, and the game will go until they get their, their chance. I think that's, that's, that's part of the beauty of, of the way baseball is designed. It's not going to change uh, with, this, with this change, but I think – I've always defended, well, if it's long, I like, I like baseball. And so, you know, I want to watch baseball. Uh, so if it lasts a long time, it lasts a long time. But, but Votto made sort of a similar argument to you, which is that um, we are, if we're consistently three hours or three and a half hours, four hours, which games are now, then you are really limiting who's going to be willing to, you know, Take the time to really pay attention. But if the game is moving, and if we get the benefit, I don't know if it will, if we get the benefit of more athletic plays, the ball being put in play more often, more action, then it, it's a win-win in terms of just the watchability of the game. And, and Joey comes at it from this idea that you don't see players or anyone within baseball really talking about this much, which is that um, this is this game is really not for us. It's, it's, it's uh, an entertainment product. We're entertainers. And so we need to make the product as entertaining as possible. And I just, I thought it's uh, go listen to that, that the podcast about everything you said, I, I agree with. And uh, I don't know if these things will work. I don't know if pitchers will get injured too much. I want to see a study as well. You could maybe say that uh, pitchers are getting injured 
too much uh, now because they are going max effort on every single throw. So I, I don't know. I don't know how that shakes out. I, I'm not t- taking sides on that one, but um, I don't just, the game is not as much fun when there's less action. And if this helps us have more action and then compress it in a, in a, mm-hmm. a shorter time period, I don't see the problem with that. No, I think it says a lot that uh, Joey Votto is championing changes that will help usher him out of the game more quickly. It might. I mean, that says everything you know, about, about him and about the way he, uh, he sees the game right now. If it gets more athletic, that's not great for, you know, a, a first baseman pushing 40. And he kind of he kind of t- touches on that a little bit, um, just very briefly. But yeah, I, I just think uh, I just think it, uh, these these things, we need to try them. Every other sport changes, yeah. and I know baseball. And I've been the same way. I've been that guy that I love this sport. Why are we trying to change it? But every single sport changes, and and if you don't, you're gonna you're doomed to irrelevance. And I just think that um, baseball has kind of shot themselves in the foot a bit. Yeah. I don't know if these shift rules are going to work, but I'm, I'm, I'm all in on trying all this. And, and baseball has changed. And these changes are why we are sort of reverse or rooting for a reversal, of course. I mean, I heard a stat today that said when Babe Ruth hit his um, 60 home runs, he faced 22 pitchers that season or something like that. The entire wow. season. Wow. When Roger Maris did it, he faced 40-something pitchers. Whereas Aaron Judge this season is on pace to face over 200 different pitchers. All through I mean, the game has effort. changed. The game yeah. evolves like crazy. People did not shift every single batter throughout baseball history. Now the shift's been around in different forms, but not the way it's deployed now. So this right. is just like a lot of things you see in a lot of sports. They push things in a direction, see if it works or not, and take what does, pull back what doesn't. And the game keeps getting better. I think baseball has resisted that more than any other major sport. And this is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think so. And if, if you disagree, wonderful. Disagree. Tell, Sound off in the comments. That's right. Yeah, let us know. Actually, only if you agree. If you disagree, just don't talk at all. Just go smash the subscribe <laughs> button and go home. Exactly. Uh, I, I think there are arguments to be made here, but I, I, I'm willing to – I do love this game. I do want to see it uh, – I, I like singles and doubles and stolen bases. I just, I miss them. A um, couple of things, but I mentioned the Joey Votto interview, not just to talk about the uh, the rule changes, but he did say a couple of things that are of interest to Reds fans. Number one, he says that he's uh, very hopeful that he's going to be back by opening day of next year, which is encouraging. I don't know that I'd heard him uh, say that uh, out loud, and I don't know if he really will, but that's, that's, what, that's his target. So that would be great. But the most interesting thing he said to me, in this show was how long do you have left Joey? And he said, "Mm, maybe two years. I mean, he really hedged on two years, which makes you think that it's, it's possible. And in Joey Votto's head, it's possible this year could be his last year. Uh, Maybe he said maybe two years in the sense of, well, if I can do two years, maybe I can do three. I don't know, but he sees the end. And it's the first time Mm -hmm. that I've seen him, acknowledge the end of the road and you can go listen to it again to, to uh, hear what he says about it. But it's in stark contrast to, to me. I thought I interviewed him back in March and he refused to concede that the end was anywhere near. And so this year's taking a toll on him. 
uh, and and he's he's kind of rethinking things some way in some ways. And because uh, I try to get him to say it, you know, um, I try to get him to talk about his legacy and how, you know, um, what is what's his career look like when it's over? And he wouldn't he wouldn't take the bait because he just come off this great season. And that's what he says in the show, which is like, last year everything was easy for me. I was like, I can't believe this. This is great. It's, I'm going to do this forever. And then now he sees he had the injury and uh, father time's catching up a little bit, but. Um, when he admits that the end is close, it, it 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 makes me want to cry. If you're not watching on YouTube, you can't see there's a single tear rolling down my cheek. So. Yeah, it's tough. Um, a lot has happened for Joey Votto since you interviewed him. He's lost a lot of teammates that he liked a lot. He's uh, lost a lot of games, um, both as a team and you know, because of injuries and stuff. And I think that, um, and this is just pure speculation, of course, could be nothing. Seems like he's having a lot of fun behind the camera, behind the microphone. He might see that there is a life in baseball that doesn't necessarily involve him playing baseball, and that might make a transition out of the game a little easier. I don't know. But it's been a pleasure to uh, to have him speaking so candidly so often. You know, that's an, inter- yeah, that's an interesting idea that I really hadn't um, given much thought to which is that maybe that part of why his, he, he, he candidly said the end is, is getting closer is that he has seen something he really enjoys. I don't know. Is he going to, as much money as he has, is he going to want to do the day-to-day of, uh, of broadcasting? I hope so because what we've seen yeah, me too. is that he is an amazing broadcaster. I mean, he, he could be the, like the next, you're growing up, it was Tim McCarver for me, you know, but uh, he could be the next like national broadcaster that you know doing world series game color yeah, he, he john smoltz does it now and john smoltz is awful oh, um man he, he could be like as big in color commentary as he is as a player if you, you know if you if you kind of you know equate those two which you can't but you, you, i think you know what i'm saying so maybe he sees it oh you know what i can stay involved in baseball i love mm-hmm. this sport and uh you know maybe that's a, it, it's an interesting thought i need to i need to think about it a little bit more you don't don't drop these things without uh Testing me first, man. I need to be able to think about the show notes. Sorry. (laughs) There you go. All right. So um, other news of the week quickly. Uh, Not a ton, really, because we are really desperately trying to avoid talking about the actual uh, game action. (laughs) What happened on the field (laughs) this year? Because screw Pittsburgh. You know, I went to Pittsburgh and they put fries on my sandwich. Fries and coleslaw on my sandwich. Without asking you? They just yes, did it? Yeah. You just order a sandwich. They put, they, they put, the, they put, the, put the fries right on there. And yes, it was great. But still, why would they do something dumb like that? I don't care. That Granted, we, we do support a city that combines chili cheese, conies, and slices of pizza. So I don't know. What oh, you know, we, yeah, we, 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 we're going to spend some time, uh, even later in the show, uh, mocking... Uh, Mocking Pittsburgh, but yeah, we might want to rethink that a little bit. Uh, I mean, I like chili cheese. I like conies. I like, uh, you know, three ways. Pizza. I like La Rosa's pizza. <laughs> um, but yeah, come on. Get out of here. Camp Washington Chili, by the way. Everyone talks about Skyline. Camp Washington Chili. Can I just say? Drop a comment if you love Camp Washington Chili. That's, I don't even know what it is. Well, I am. I'm, I'm taking a chance on us not getting a skyline endorse or sponsorship at some point. So I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but Camp Washington is the best in Cincinnati. I'm sorry, guys. 
Listen, All right, Scott, uh, you the- want us to rank you above Camp Washington, you know what to do. You got to pay us. <laughs> At Riverfront Cincy. Yeah, we're shameless. Whatever. We have no morals. <laughs> um, Hunter Green. Uh, Hunter Green, one of the uh, uh, greatest prospects that have ever come through this organization since I've been watching, uh, made his final uh, rehabilitation. Sometimes they call it a rehab star, but I'm going to call it a rehabilitation star. Yeah, uh, in the minor right. leagues, uh, one run on four hits and a walk through three innings, struck out five, and, uh, you know, uh, looked very, very good. So he will be back in Cincinnati very soon. Dave, that's good news, right? Yeah, I think it's starting on Saturday, last I saw. Um, 15 to 2 strikeout to walk ratio in Louisville. I think uh, we talked about it last week, actually. Uh, him coming back healthy is one of the only reasons to continue watching at this point. So, Rooting for that in a big, big way. And he has a chance to, not a chance, but like in all likelihood, will be the uh, team leader in innings pitched this season. You know, I hadn't looked at it, but oh my goodness. Could be wrong on that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that's, we don't fact check around here. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, he has, who, who else is up yeah. there? Ashcraft is the only could, could be other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Luis Sessa is somehow, somehow close. <laughs> He's in the mix somehow. Oh, um, I want to talk about another pitcher quickly. Um, is there any other news of the week? I mean, I guess the Reds activated Matt Reynolds. They designated Albert Almora Jr. for assignment. Actually, well, they called up some guy named Raynell Espinal as well. They're making up guys I don't now. You. But I don't can I just say quickly, the Reds uh, designated Albert Almora Jr. for assignment. I want you to do two things for me if you haven't already. Number one, I want you to go look up Albert Almora Jr.'s stats for the year. Okay, and then after you do that, go to the tweet where the uh, Cincinnati Reds at Reds announced that Albert Almora Jr. was being designated for assignment and scroll down and look at all the people fighting mad, as, as they say in, in the mountains <laughs> where we're from, that Albert Almora Jr. is gone. I, it, I don't understand you, Reds fans. I don't know what Albert Almora Jr. has tried as hard as he could for this team. I've got no problems with him personally. He, he's worked his butt off. Player. Really right. The guy is not a good player. He's just not a good player. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. He's a better player than 99.9% of humans on earth. He's, he's at, the, at the top of his craft when you, when you look at it that way. But come on. But anyway, if you only so. compare him to major league players, uh, at least offensively, he is 30% worse than the average one. That's not good. That's no. not good. It's really bad. So, I think the Reds... Must have listened in on my crazy eyes take last week because it's true. He does have crazy eyes. <laughs> he does. He does. Also, screw picks. Um, so uh, we talked about Hunter Green, and I want to uh, shift back to pitching for a moment because yeah. we have to. It's really the shining, you know, the only real positive shining light that we had this week. Right, right. It was, and and really one of the to me um, stories of the season in mm-hmm. some ways. Uh, as when we get to the end of the season, we kind of look back on the stories of the season. We we may end up saying the most optimistic thing, the most positive thing about the twenty twenty two Reds is the emergence of Nick Lodolo. And I wrote about it this week at uh, Cincinnati Magazine. If you're not reading everything I write at Cincinnati Magazine, I mean, what are you even doing? I mean, every single column is like, I don't know why I haven't won a Pulitzer yet. I mean, I've been telling every you. Single, I say it all the time. Thank you. Your ability every, to punctuate a sentence. Oh, 
Oh, my commas, semicolons. Listen, Ooh. come on. It's one of my, one of my favorite. I'm, I'm, basically, I'm basically John Steinbeck. I mean, obviously. But anyway, uh, th- I had a fun time writing this one because Lodolo has kind of snuck up on us. Now, he's always kind of been the second fiddle to Hunter Green, which is reasonable. Hunter Green is mm-hmm. a generational talent. Nick Lodolo's not a generational talent. Hunter Green has, I don't know if he will, but he has the talent to be a Kershaw, you know, type uh, right-hander uh, rather than left-hander. Although you can maybe argue about uh, <laughs> Lodolo and Kershaw now, but all of a sudden, Nick Lodolo, you know, he had the uh, the, the back injury that lasted seemingly forever, but which none of us were really pushing for him to come back. I don't, I don't think you might be able to go back into the archives and see that we were, but just we knew he had an innings limit. So, um, and, and I was optimistic. I was loving what I was seeing from Lodolo early in the year. He was perfectly cromulent. He was showing signs at age 24 that this guy can he can pitch. Well, he came back from the bad back, and he got back on July 5th. And his first, you know, seven starts were good. They weren't great. They were just – they were good. And you could see him kind of figuring it out and adjusting to the league. And um, I was happy. I was extremely happy. And then all of a sudden, Nick Lodolo decided to become one of the best pitchers in baseball. I just, I, and you may not have noticed it if you haven't actually been, been paying attention. Um, I looked it up actually, and I think since in his last six starts, he has been the number. Uh, see, you have to go read the, the, he has, he's had another start since I wrote the column, but at the time I wrote the column, I think he was the fourth best pitcher in baseball over that time. Um, but what impressed me the most was the fact that he is striking out guys and he's not walking them. And right, that was the he he early in the season he was walking too many. We see this every year from rookie pitchers. That's a big that's a, even guys that had and and Lodolo go look at his stats. He had crazy control numbers in the minors. His strikeout walk ratio was amazing. But early in the year it was not it was not great. Well, in in his last six starts, he struck out forty nine hitters, and he's walked six. Okay, that's uh, that's elite. That's elite. In his last two starts, <laughs> this just doesn't happen. 11 strikeouts, no walks. So, you know, he's uh, 2.72 ERA in those last six starts. He literally has come the guy. I think that was... probably he, as we go into next year, he's the opening day starter. He's the ace of this uh, staff next year. What do you think? Since our last podcast, he has 22 strikeouts and zero walks. <laughs> he had back-to-back games with 11 strikeouts and no walks. Crazy. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look up the stat in a minute, but I want to just rant for, for just, just a second. On the season, he now has a 3.81 ERA and a 119 ERA plus, um, just under 12 Ks per nine, which is just elite. Um, in the second half, that's a 2.95 ERA and a 1.049 whip. You know how I feel about whips that start with a 1.0. Oh, yeah. That is usually a good, good thing. Um, he has two of my favorite pitches in all baseball. That slider that he, that, that he throws in on right-handed batters, and then his ability to locate his fastball in the upper corners is years beyond a 24-year-old rookie. Um, and like I said, he didn't have it earlier in the season. It makes sense. You're a rookie. You're getting your first cup of coffee. 
You're going to have nerves. This is exciting yeah. stuff. Um, when he is on, he is a little bit of maturation away from being, you know, you hate to use the word elite because you don't want to set too, uh, you know, too lofty expectations. But he's starting to look like that guy that, if health permits, is like a number two starter floor. Yeah, they, yeah. And potential and, ace stuff. Yeah, and that's that's where I was going to go. I, thank you for saying that because um, I, do I think he's going to be better than a Hunter Green? No, not necessarily. Hunter Green has a higher ceiling, but Nick Lodolo has a much higher floor. Nick Lodolo, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's all health. We've been saying this all season. It, it's all dependent on health with him. If he's healthy, he's going to be good. Now, did I think he's going to be this good this soon? And we're talking about six starts, so let's not get too much ahead of ourselves. Uh, also, let's note, when we're talking about him versus Hunter Green for this year and next year, Hunter Green's two full years younger than Nick Lodolo. Okay, so Hunter, I, I have not lost one bit of enthusiasm for Hunter Green. But Nick Lodolo has just uh, – he, he, Again, I, I can be accused of getting too excited over small sample sizes, maybe. But let me tell you a, a, a few stats here. Um, and these will be easy to digest. I'm not going deep into, you know, crazy stats, advanced metrics or anything. But our buddy Joel Luckup. Joel Luckup uh, is a friend of the podcast. But, you know, I need to. I was literally I just out? getting ready to bring up his, his tweet <laughs> thread. So I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, great, great thread, and I need to get him on. I don't know why I haven't asked Joel to come on in a while. Um, Joel's a statistician for Red's uh, Red's broadcast. So anyway, uh, go follow him on Twitter at jluckup, J-L-U-C-K-H-A-U-P-T. Um, since 1901, left-handed pitchers, 1901, that's like I was two years old, I think, in 1901. <laughs> Left-handed pitchers who have had 11 strikeouts and no walks in consecutive starts. There have been four. That can't be true. Four left-handed pitchers since 1901 with 11 strikeouts and no walks in consecutive, 11-plus strikeouts. Who were those four? And that's the other part of it. Chris Sale. Clayton Kershaw has done it three times. Randy Johnson. And Nick Lodolo. <laughs> what? I'll let you hit the next uh, tweet since you were going to do that as well. If you have, if you have it pulled up, if not, I'll dive into it. Yeah, the only other one I wanted to bring up was he. Uh, yeah. You know, so let's just boil it down to 2022 um, pitchers this season with a three-game span with 30-plus strikeouts and one walk or fewer. Nick Lodolo, Jacob Degrom, Max Scherzer, and Charlie Morton. This the guy's year, just in, he's in just elite, elite company, and I know small sample size. We always have to have that caveat, but the talent is there, the stuff is there, and man, there's something to be excited about. Yeah, we can say small sample size, but these are, these are and again, maybe we're cherry picking stats. But he did this. I mean, you know, it's not like <laughs> it's not like you know ERA where he depended on great defensive plays or anything like this. He he did right. this. He struck out these guys and. Didn't walk them. The, the other one I'll say is this one, uh, because this I'm an old guy, and some of these names I like. Since 1901, pitchers age 24 or younger. I hope everyone's eyes are not glazing over, but 24 or younger, so kids, who had a three-game span of 30 or more strikeouts, one or fewer walks. Okay? Burt Blylevin, Hall of Famer. Frank Tanana, member in 1976. Many of you don't know who that is, but go look him up. He was really good. 
1984, Dwight Gooden. Dwight Gooden, Hall of Fame talent, no question whatsoever. 2016, Jose Fernandez, rest in peace, Hall of Fame talent. 2019, Walker Bueller. And 2022, Nicola Dolo. Uh, Joel, I didn't want to bring that one up because I didn't want to have to try to pronounce Bly Levin. I was going to put to that. So. <laughs> Bert, be home, Bly Levin. Um, Joel Luckett, thank you. You uh, uh, made me happy, and that's hard to do in September of a maybe the worst red season of my lifetime. And kudos to you. So, Nicola, go read my piece if you want to. I think it still holds up. Um, the only thing I would mention about Lodolo is that um, since you mentioned his pitches, it, I mentioned it in, the, in in the column, which is that pitch at Pitching Ninja. If you follow that uh, account. They love every Nick Lodolo start over there, or he does, uh, Rob over there. Um, because that slider, man, is funky as can be, and it makes big league hitters look silly. Just absolutely silly. I mean, I don't know how I'm so excited in, in September of this awful year where the Reds are still on pace to lose 99 games or whatever. But uh, this has been one of the most exciting things that I've seen uh, in recent years, and I'm, I'm pumped up about Nick Lodolo. Any final thoughts about Lodolo before we move on? Nope, just praying for uh, you know continued good health and progress. Love it. Yes, Reds are winning uh, as we're recording this on Thursday night. They're winning, so they maybe maybe break that six game losing streak, beating the stupid Cardinals. I mean, we we've talked about the Cubs and the and the Pirates, but you know, screw the Cardinals too. Screw Hate those guys. The Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, Nixon Zell Nixon Zell had home run tonight. He did indeed. I yeah. I had some notes on Sinzel if we wanted to get into it. Do uh, it most quickly. Of pretty, most, most of them are pretty bad, just that he has a uh, slugging percentage that would be a terrible on-base percentage. Um, it was 3.06 after that home run. So, you know, it's not good if you're counting at home. But I think that if you go back to the beginning of the season, we would have been pretty happy with him just getting through most of the season healthy. So we got that. Um, there's some really good stuff this week on some changes he's made to his stance to try to hit the ball harder. Apparently he's had the same stance and approach since he was in the minor leagues. Common tell of guys that were good for a long time that, uh, you know, were not when they got to the bigs. Um, more good stuff on him working with Jonathan India and Kyle Farmer to break down a swing. I hope he listens to Jonathan India a little more than Kyle Farmer. But I'm not <laughs> dumb with Nick Senzel. Um Matt Wilkes, I think it was, is posting some tweets that since he's made that stance change, he's hit like 12 of 14 balls at, you know, 95 miles an hour or harder, like whatever counts as a, as a hard hit barrel. So it's actually 13 to 15 now because he did it again uh, after. Yeah. Uh, and then that's again, we're, 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 we're podcasting we're tweet threads now. But uh, Matt Wilkes, good, good, good. Uh, I don't know if Matt's ever, I think Matt's been on, on the show. We need to get him back on. He's great. Great guy. He, is at, he writes at Reds Content Plus. He's right with us at Red Nation back in the day. But um, again, this is big time small sample size. Do not take too much, uh, you know, draw too many conclusions. But since implementing this sort of stance change on Monday, um, 13 of his 15 batted balls have been hit 95 uh, mile per hour plus uh, exit velocity. And he was not doing that before. I, I can't say enough. Don't draw. <laughs> too much many conclusions about 15 at bats but the the other side of that is just that Nixon Zell was there's a reason he was a legit 
big time prospect, you know? And so I don't know. He's, uh, the other part is he's going to be your center fielder next year. And so we need to be hoping that he figures it out. Plus he's here. They don't have any other outfit. He's going to be here. So, um, well, listen, anyway. do you want me to talk about potential reasons for optimism with Nixon Zale? Or do you want me to talk about how the Reds got one hit twice since the last time we re-recorded? And as a team in that span, they're hitting 217 with a 278 on base percentage and a 370 slugging. Good for a 74 weighted runs created plus and negative one, negative point one wins above replacement since our last podcast. I can talk about that. I can talk about how they are literally worse than a replacement level major league team. Or we can talk about Nixon's making batting stance changes and hitting the ball real hard. I choose to talk about the good things. But see, I, you know, I respect you because we, uh, our, our hashtag, hash brown brand is that we have to tell the truth. We have to tell the truth about this team. We've never lied to you about this team. But there are things this week in this one of the worst weeks to be a Reds fan that I'm actually excited about and happy about. And, mm-hmm. I've enjoyed talking about him, and then you bring me back down to earth uh, with with all those stats. But um, I wasn't true. talking Red's... about those stats. I was talking. Oh, about right, right. You were talking about why you weren't talking about those stats. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, everything with us is hope now. I've gone on record many times with hope is not a strategy for the front office. For us, if we didn't have any hope, then why are we still hanging out? You know, and, and someone said that in our Slack channel. If if you're uh, the you know the lowest level, I don't should put it that way, but the, the minimum monetary contribution to the Patreon, you get access to our Slack channel. And if you don't want Slack, a Slack channel, is go look it up. But the the discussions there are often hilarious, always fun. And someone said this week, you know, I'm still watching them. I'm still gonna love them no matter what. I can't help myself. And and, and that's the way that's the way we are. We wouldn't still be doing this every week but um I, I guess i guess the point i'm trying to make is that if we can't couldn't have some kind of hope couldn't figure out reasons for hope then there's no reason for us to continue talking about this team every week let's just move on um uh, yes the reds have smacked us around but here and there you can find and and again we're not going to lie to you <laughs> we're not going to tell you that they're oh man they're all they're great minor leagues are going to be awesome for the next five years because they got all these holes we don't know that but i do have hope and uh, if, if we don't have that hope, then what's the point, I guess? So I don't know why I went off that rant there, Nate, but uh, but I did. Well, let's bring it back around. Uh, the standings, the Reds are 56 and 86 Stop. going into uh, this recording. Stop. 27 and a half games back in the Central. You know who are ahead of in the standings? For now. Nate? Pittsburgh. The stupid Sorry. pirates from that garbage city of Pittsburgh that kind of has a really nice downtown area. Um, okay. If you're looking for reasons for optimism, for something to watch out for, a historic performance is within reach. The Reds are on pace to lose 98 games, but a little continued slide here. We could hit that 101 number that I've been rooting for for two months now. <laughs> yeah, you lose 99 games, it's just that's a garden variety bad year. Did you know if the season ended? If the season ended today, the Reds would be the uh, be the eleventh worst Reds team based on wins percentage or win loss percentage in their one hundred and forty year history. So you're, what you're telling me is not the bottom ten. <laughs> not 
the worst. I'll tell you what, I mean, I started looking into some of those depressing numbers for a little bit. And what I learned was that the 1930s, like, you know, I knew you were going to say the 30s. The, that, that the Great Depression worse. was bad for everyone, but Cincinnati had a worse decade than most. Jeez Louise, tough times. Yeah, I know that because. Because during uh, the seat four straight Reds lost ninety plus, uh, we kind of we were like, "Well, are they as bad as the third nineteen thirties Reds?" Um, and this is the area in between the nineteen nineteen championship and nineteen forty championship. So, um, oh man, uh, <laughs> hey, but you know what? Nixon and Zell's had fifteen really good at bats. <laughs> so yeah, that's something. It seems like a uh, seems like a good time to get into some viewer mail questions. What do you think? <laughs> Shall we? Shall we, please? I've been uh, trying yeah. to do that for a while. Uh, first question, again, all these questions come from our friends at uh, Patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy. Now, over the offseason, I hope we're going to get into more taking in our questions from other outlets as well. But right now, because of the way in the season, we have limited time. So we're going to uh, answer the first one from our buddy Joey Kaditsa. Joey Kaditsa from the, uh, the, the country of our north, Canada, says, Hey, guys, okay, how about this? The shift. You can deploy it three times in a nine-inning game whenever you feel the need. This is a proposal. Deploy the shift three times in a nine-inning game. Whenever you feel the need, extra innings are not allowed. Postseason, same rules. It would make the skippers, that's managers, really have to think it through. What are your thoughts? Now, I, I, I sensed earlier that you had some thoughts about this. Uh, I don't have, really have any thoughts necessarily. Do, do you want to tell me what, what do you think about this uh, proposal from Joey? I don't hate it. Um, I mean, I'm against it. I'm against the shift in all forms uh, joey's ideas are not terrible maybe even only for the playoffs uh just kind of back to what we were saying earlier more athleticism is better uh joey made a point in his interview about we're missing out on ronald acuna jr web gems in favor of you know one hoppers to the third baseman uh, you know you're taught your entire life line drives up the middle are a good thing and then one day they're not you know i want those diving plays i want web gems i don't want mike moustakas falling down when balls are hit hard in his general direction, it's supposed to be entertaining. The shift is not entertaining. Beating the shift by bunting to literally no one at third base is not entertaining. End of rant. No shift. Yeah, that's that's sort of been my thought when people say, why don't you just lay down a – and Tucker Barnhart, you know, if you remember, he did it a couple times last year. Why don't you just lay down a bunt and beat that shift? And to me, I'm like, okay, you can do that. That's not entertaining. That's not also, fun. Also, I love the the high school coaches are out there. Just lay the bunt down. You know, you, you yeah. get all the all that space. Look at Nick Lodolo's slider and go lay that bunt down. Yeah, lay it down. It's uh, I, th- I always think about. I don't remember who said it, but um, you know, uh, the the batters are coming to play, and these are the, these are highly paid batters, and they're like somebody in the seventies said, you know what, the pitcher drives a Mercedes too. <laughs> you know, the pitchers are really good too. It's it's not not that easy. Um. Next question comes from our, our friend Seth Shaner. Seth asks us, what would you do to change the mentality that permeates smallish market teams' fans? You know, the, quote, they had to trade all these guys because they couldn't afford them, so get what they can, unquote, mentality. Yes, if that's the road you're going to go down, then by all means, get the haul. But this woe-is-us mentality over a team worth around a billion and a half dollars feels fabricated by small market owners across the country. Um. I'll, I'll I'll tackle this one first, Nate. And then if you have anything, uh, I'll let you dive in. What would you do? Listen, the fact of the matter is, quote unquote, small market owners have done a great job of convincing their fans that they can't spend money. 
the Castellinis have convinced Reds fans they can't spend money. Now, this year, for the first time, they're kind of staying away from the park a little bit. But you'll also see so many people willing to defend the regime, willing to defend the Castellinis. Eh, they're a small market. They can't afford it. Nonsense. Here's what I would do. It's never going to happen in American sports. But here's what I would do. I've said this here and elsewhere before. You implement relegation like they have in European football, soccer. And what that means is in the English Premier League, for example, Barclays Premier League, the three worst teams in the league, they go down to the second division, the minor leagues, essentially. The three best teams in the minor league come up. And so what happens there is every team in that in, – in, and, and it's ever that way all the way down through the, you know, 12th division or whatever, you know. You get a chance to make your way up by spending some money and being competitive. That's not going to happen here. Um, the other thing I would do is, and when I'm a United States senator, I'm going to do this. I'm going to push as hard as I can to have the uh, uh, MLB's antitrust clause uh, or exemption revoked. The fact they're exempt from the antitrust uh, laws is outrageous, and that causes these owners who get in the club to not have to spend money. So, yeah. Um, Promotion relegation is the real thing because if, if if the Reds had to be in Triple A next year, they'd spend some money to stay in the major leagues. <laughs> um, uh, I don't even think it's likely, but a more likely scenario in American sports would be getting rid of the antitrust exemption uh, for Major League Baseball because it changes things in ways we can't even kind of conceive right now. So those are my thoughts. When I'm a United States Senator tonight, you can hold my feet to the fire. You got my vote. Um. Yeah. Relegation would be a blast. I mean, that's it's it's so so much fun because it it makes the season matter when your team is terrible. Also, like you have to, they show up and the fans go crazy trying to support their guys so they don't get relegated, which is kind of cool. But Seth asked, how do you change the uh, you know the fans' mentality? And I would say that you can't convince folks that don't want to be convinced. Yeah, they're they're, they're ready to tow that party line, and that's just how it is. There's plenty of evidence of small market teams with lots of success, look in our own division. The Milwaukee Brewers and St. Louis Cardinals do not have a significant advantage over the Cincinnati Reds. And nobody's confusing those franchises for their, you know, intelligence and acumen. Well, they do have an advantage over the Reds, but it's not related to the market size. Yeah. They're well run. Precisely. Yeah. So, um, but the problem is, I don't understand the, the fans that would want to defend the Castellanis. There's no defense for what the Castellanis have done. There's not. And you just gave the reason why. Look at the Cardinals. Look at the, look at the Brewers. Um, I mean, even the, the Kansas City Royals won a World Series in 2015. Right. And the Royals are San not Diego, San Diego well Padres run. have a small market. And they just mortgaged everything to get elite talent and make a run. Yeah. <sighs> what is that about? What is that about fans that make one want to defend... The ownership, you know, the I don't have the answer, but I bet that there is about a 98% crossover. The Venn diagram looks real funky between people who think the Castellinis can't afford to spend a dime and also love California. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Venn diagram. Yeah, no evidence to back this up. But <laughs> we, need, we may need to do a scientific there. study. I don't know. Next question comes from Chris Garber. Hey, Nate, do you know Chris Garber? Is that who that is? Yeah. So Chris he, uh, D, I should have known. That was fancy, fancy speak. 
Yeah, Chris Garber uh, and I uh, wrote a book once upon a time that uh, uh, not enough of you bought, um, which is why we haven't had another one since. I just had to pause to make an angry face at all of you. Chris's question is this. As I'm sure you know, Mirror et al. write that social identity theory predicts that group affiliation is the primary lens through which individuals filter new information and situations, and that once entrenched, Identity becomes a powerful heuristic. Now, first of all, uh, Mirror, who he's talking about, I presume he's talking about Michael Marrera, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee uh, uh, professor. Um, uh, you know, I presume that's who he means. Obviously, it has to be, right? So, and that once entrenched, identity becomes a powerful heuristic. Against that backdrop, and keeping in mind Arpin and Rainey's findings, of which you're surely familiar, uh, duh. My question is this. Why are the Steelers and their fans so awful? Why are the Steelers and their fans so awful? Um, this is the greatest question in the history of viewer mail. Because 98% of it is unintelligible. Although I looked up and there are actually some really good academic studies by this, the people he mentioned. Uh, and I'm gonna, I've got them actually in, a, in browser tabs. I'm going to read these things. Uh, you know, One, for example, is... Taking it from the team, assessments of bias and credibility in team-operated sports media. This is good stuff. Uh, but anyway, the, the biggest question is this. I, I literally laughed out loud at this question, Chris. Thank you so much. But why are the Steelers and their fans so awful? Is there, I mean, is there some, is there some way we can quantify that and, and, and describe why they are? I don't know. I don't know if academically we can figure out why. I heard something about some troughs. Anyone who has cheered for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm just going to say this, Nate. Anyone who's ever cheered for the Pittsburgh Steelers is a garbage human being and deserves to be shunted off to, uh, you know, some camp somewhere to be re-educated. <laughs> you agree or disagree with that? I think that is a, uh, man, that's a, that's a firm, that's a hard take. <laughs> <laughs> Re-education camps for Steelers fans. Is, is, that, is that too much? Have I gone too far? It can be the next, uh, you know, from a mandatory military service that a lot of countries have. We have mandatory uh, re-education camps for Steelers fans. I did look into a little bit of this, though. I went and Googled, like, all of the, you know, the rankings for you know, top 10, whatever, worst for, uh, fan bases in sports. And the lists are almost entirely made up of teams, schools, franchises that experience long, long periods of success, of sustained success. So maybe we shouldn't be getting mad at the opposing fans so much as our own decision makers. And the study that I really want to see is because there was one fan base that is on every single one of these lists, and it's the only one that doesn't have sustained success, and it's the Philadelphia fan base. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's take our gaze away from Pittsburgh, move it over to Philadelphia, and figure out why they are so terrible. Congrats, Philly fans. The whole world agrees. No, screw, <laughs> screw Pittsburgh. Most of screw Pittsburgh. Next question comes from, Rich, <laughs> comes from Rich Thompson. Rich says this, if you had one wish for the Reds next year other than Bob selling the team, what would it be? Um, if I had one wish for the Reds next year, it would be that the Reds win the World Series? Ooh. I mean, we'll get one. That's, that's my wish. What about you, Nate? You know, I never asked Santa for a new car because I knew he wasn't going to give it to me. Um, 
if I had one wish that I thought might get granted, maybe just be sort of sneakily competitive, um, competitive, play some meaningful baseball games in September, something like this year's Orioles team, you know, just outperform your, uh, your, your expected schedule and have a lot of fun, give fans reason to show up and pay attention every day. That's, That's all the we have. saddest thing I've ever heard. It's the saddest yeah. thing I've ever heard. Sad. You're giving, you're giving a wish. You're giving a wish, and you're like, I just hope that everybody has fun. <laughs> I mean, come on, <laughs> dream big. Uh, next, next question on uh, Viewer comes from Rich. Wait, a minute, Rich, Rich Thompson. Oh, he double dipped. He cheated. You can't double dip, Rich. You take I one dip because he chose a topic that I'm. It's a, good, it's a good question, but I mean, if we learn nothing from Seinfeld, we learned that you take one dip and then you end it. <laughs> All right, Rich, we'll, we'll, we'll let you get away with this time. Is Alejo Lopez deserving of an MLB roster spot with the Reds next year, even if Kyle Farmer is not traded during the offseason? Nate, uh, I agree with you 100% on this, but I'm going to let you poetic about Alejo Lopez. Oh, man, I am an Alejo Lopez stan. Uh, my guy is hitting 311 going into today with a, with a 371 on base percentage, a 111 OPS plus. Uh, for comparison, everyone's favorite non-buck farmer has a 95 OPS plus. <laughs> and for those of you... What is it? Wait, what, what's, what's Kyle's? 95. That's actually, that's actually better than I would have expected. Better than I thought. Well, he's been playing well lately. But for those of you that don't know what OPS Plus is, it, uh, you know, first off, congrats on successfully playing a podcast on your device. But it means that Alejo <laughs> Lopez is 11% better, better than the average major league ball player. And that Kyle Farmer is 5% worse. There is every reason in the world to have a guy like Alejo Lopez on your team. I'm not arguing that he needs to be starting anywhere on the field. But having a guy that just puts the bat on the ball and can play four or five positions is so useful. We can rant and rave about Aristides Aquino all we want to, but you need guys like Alejo on your bench. And he's got a super cute girlfriend, which I appreciate. Good for you, Alejo. <laughs> having a good year. Good for him. Good for him. He's living the dream. Uh, you know, he's short. He's really tall. short. And and I, I really think that's a big part of the reason why he, he's not really again, he's not a star. He's never gonna be a star, no. but he's a useful big league player. And I, frankly, I I don't want to say anything bad about Kyle Farmer because I know many of you are are passionate about Kyle Farmer, but I mean what's Kyle Farmer bring you? It's maybe some pop. He, you know, he, Kyle Farmer can hit the ball a little harder, maybe uh, hit it out of the park occasionally. Um and I don't dislike Kyle Farmer necessarily, but Alejo Lopez, I don't understand why. He is not, you know, already penciled in on the Reds bench next year. And you play him four times a yeah. week, and he's going to put the ball in play. He's going to hit the – I just – He's what everybody wants up. Albert Almora Jr. to be. <laughs> yes, he's a good Albert Almora Jr. I don't know. I, I don't have anything more to say. I think you hit the nail on the head. Alejo Lopez – first of all, Alejo Lopez is fun to say, and so I'm looking forward to that. Great. But um, I just – I don't understand. And why he doesn't really get a shot, you know, um, a shot. What's a shot? I'm not suggesting I bring him up and start him seven days a week, but I love that guy. I, I, he's hit everywhere he's been. 
uh, he's not going to for power in this day and age. Power's the thing, but yes, yeah, we love we love some Alejo Lopez here at the at the riverfront. Next question comes from Andrew Moran. Andrew M Moran Moran get a brain Morans no, so it's Moran. Um, this is this is a great question, and I thank you for this one, Andrew. I, I'm loving it uh, because it gives me a chance to wax poetic about uh, the greatest player ever in Cincinnati Reds history. In honor of episode number 444, that's three fours. Who is the greatest red ever to wear two fours? Number 44. Besides Tanner Rainey, of course, Andrew says. Yeah, uh, clever, clever, Andrew. Basically, I just want to hear an Adam Dunn versus Eric Davis argument because we all win or lose in one of those. Best player, greatest red ever to win, wear number 44. I mean, it's obviously Adam Dunn. I mean, just start there. Obviously, Adam Dunn, even though he was not a better player than Eric Davis, he's still the greatest red ever number 44 because he's Adam Dunn. And he double-fisted Bud Lights at his Hall of Fame induction. Um, so so that's the answer. Eric Davis is better than many of you kids remember. You don't you just don't understand. If you'd read the big 50, uh, the minute moments that made the Cincinnati Reds, you'd know how great he was in 1987. But um Nate, you got to. you gonna you gonna go Tanner Rainey? You gonna go Mike Leak? Where are you going with this? I gave Mike Leak a look when I was looking into this. Um, I was surprised at how similar their numbers are. Eric Davis and Adam Dunn. I mean, they are within one point in OPS plus. Their OPSs are within thirteen. Slugging percentages are within ten. Even on base percentage are within a few. Um, the problem is. A, it's a trick question because Adam Dunn is the greatest player in the history of baseball, so obviously it's him. But the key was that he said greatest, not best. Because Adam Dunn's uh, greatness cannot cannot be counted. It goes far beyond his baseball reference page. So, right, exactly. Could, could he play defense like Eric Davis? No. Could he run bases like Eric Davis? No. Did he mix power and speed together better than any player in Reds history? Uh, okay, probably Adam Dunn did not. But the question is greatest Red, and Adam Dunn. It's just great. I, I actually think there's a guy you can make an argument for as being even uh, even better than Eric Davis, if you wanted to say Eric Davis. So um, those 200-year-old guys that nobody else has heard of? Yeah, we're talking 1942, man. Come on. Yule Blackwell. Also, if you read The Big 50, there was a chapter on Yule Blackwell. The Whip was his nickname. He wore number 44 in 1942. Yule Blackwell. If you don't know Yule Blackwell, you need to go learn about him because he was amazing, you know, 80 years ago. Literally 80 years ago. Can I can I tell you the, the names of the players who wore number 44 since Eric Davis? Quickly. Only Will you let me do that? To make me sadder than I already am. Since Eric Davis. Here are the players that have worn number 44. John Roper. Some of you are like, oh yeah, that guy. Mariano Duncan wore it in 95. Now, Duncan, of course, mm. on the 1990 World Championship team. Uh, when he came back in 95, he wore uh, number 44. Um, that same year after Duncan was gone, Frank Viola, former Cy Young winner for the Twins, the, the Reds in 1995, my favorite since they were Reds in 95. They gave Frank Viola a, a, a shot in uh, August and September. He was so bad, and it was the last uh, time he played in the big leagues. But again, that's a guy m many of you don't know. But Frank Viola was a really good pitcher until he came to Cincinnati. Then, of course, Eric Davis wore it again when he came back in '96. After that, Pat Watkins in '97, Melvin Nieves in 1998, Scott Winchester in 1998, Scott Mike Winchester. Cameron 
You remember Mike Scott uh, Winchester? Mm-hmm. Mike Cameron. I didn't. I, I didn't remember that '99 season where the Reds uh, were so good. I didn't remember that Mike Cameron had had worn had played center field and were uh, number 44. Brian Hunter in uh, 2000, and then Adam Dunn. So those are the players that wore it between Davis and and Dunn, and then of course uh, Mike Leak later. I don't know why it's not uh, that number is not retired for Adam Dunn. I don't understand that. Next question comes from Dennis. Thomas's question is this. Are you confident that Nick Crawls Hall, Crawls Hall, will have us in first place next year, just as the Guardians are in first a year after their Hall for Lindor? Thomas, I love you, but I am as far away from confident about that as I could ever be. Yeah. That's the answer, right? I think the Castellanos would love to have uh, the same payroll as the Guardians. Yeah, really. They'd love it. But I don't they're more, want that. Yeah, their baseball ops people are clearly better. No, I don't want it either. Jordan Salisbury. This isn't so much a question as it is me venting. Wait a minute, Jordan. You're kind of abusing the viewer mail rules here. I mean, we love you. You're a great member of the family. But you're kind of abusing the rules. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to allow it. Chad, I'm, not, I'm one of the lost generation of Reds fans that you've written about. I was not even two years old the last time the Reds won the World Series. All right. Screw you for being so young. I was a fan of Dick Williams and thought the Reds would have a World Series title by 2024 with the triad that seemed triad, triad, triad. That's, that's triad. a word that maybe it's I'm just what what it's the triarchy. That's what I, that's what I was thinking. The triarchy in that new uh, Game of Thrones show. The triarchy. Anyway, sorry. That seemed to be building on the backs of Hunter Green, Nick Senzel, and Taylor Trammell. Hmm. Hunter still shows a lot of promise, uh, that's to say the least, but Tramiel is gone and Sinzel looks like the next Clint Hurdle or Kurt Stilwell in terms Whoa. of big prospects who never lived up to the hype. Come on, man. Have I? Did you not hear earlier when I was talking about his 15 at-bats recently? He hit the ball hard trying, a few times. Oh, man. He hit more, more often than usual. I mean, it's really hard. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say or ask is this. When does this get better? And, and my answer to that question, I'll let you say whatever you want to say, Nate, but my answer is I refuse to answer because I fear what the actual answer is. So, Nate, it's all yours. I wish you hadn't sent it over to me. Um, try, try reading the tea leaves and they didn't show me anything pretty. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll get optimistic here. I said it up there. I got one wish. My one wish is going to get granted. They're going to be okay next year, at least not as bad as we expect. 2024 is our year. The haul is going to pay off. I don't know. It's probably just going to continue being a disaster. But 2024, Jordan. What I'll say. I'm convincing myself I I did not succeed. (laughs) Certainly didn't convince any of you. What I'll say, though, is if the Reds are well run, there's no question in my mind that by 2024 they could be a legitimate contender. There are pieces in place, and they, but they've got to make all the right moves in between now and then. It absolutely could happen. I'm not going to bet the ranch on it, but um, yeah. I hope they do we because uh, we've said this before. And the fact of the matter is, it's largely a dumpster fire. There are some reasons that you can find them for optimism going forward. You don't have to look too far, but a championship for Cincinnati fans is going to mean so much more just about for every other major league franchise that it's worth staying tuned. It's worth staying tuned. You know, 
Again, we have one more question. I want to get to it. We we've gone long. I can't. We've gone this long in September of the worst season since I don't know, like three years ago. But um, so I want to finish it. But I have to say, uh, you know, I write a newsletter um, at Substack, uh, chaddotson.substack.com. If you haven't subscribed, just get me out of here. Well, this week I wrote about the Bengals. Mostly I write about the Reds, but it's a Cincinnati sports newsletter, and I wrote about the Bengals and you know why people shouldn't get go crazy. Uh, after losing week one. But one of the things I mentioned in there was, man, and and someone, uh, one of our cousins, Nate, uh, was sending me pictures. He's, he's a season ticket holder and uh, was uh, sending me pictures of the game. And just the crowd was incredible. And that's one of the things I said was, you know what? When, when, when the Reds, or when Cincinnati sports teams try to win, the fans show up. And it's an insane atmosphere you and i were there in 2010 for the first home playoff game since 95 it's an insane atmosphere fc cincinnati played um the columbus crew in, in uh, the big uh, you know uh rivalry match last week which was a great game if you didn't get to watch it i don't know you don't like soccer whatever but it was amazing uh fcc would just what they've done this year to get back into the race is incredible and just see and the the crowd at that Bengals game. I mean, this is a this is a franchise that a buddy of mine, big Bengals fan. He was, you know, that's probably been six years ago. He said I was at the game. It was a Steelers game. He was like, and I, you know, he and his buddy went, and we were sitting in the I don't know I don't know where they were sitting, but he's like, there were Steelers fans all around me, and he said one of the Steelers fans looked at his buddy and said, "Huh, this is this is weird. There are more Bengals fans here than usual." It was. It was at Paul, what used to be called Paul Brown's Stadium. Uh, he's like, wow, there's more Bengals fans than usual. Um, Cincinnati sports fans will show up, but only if you show that you try. And so I'm loving the fact that the, that um, the Bengals are getting such support in FC Cincinnati. And, yes, that, that, that can be the case in Cincinnati as well. I, I went off on a rant there. So it can get better quickly. We saw it with the Bengals last year. It can get better if ownership will really come in. Last question comes from our friend Sidney Price. How many players from this team do you expect to return next year? He says, Lodolo, Ashcraft, Diaz, Green, Indian Stevenson, to name a few. How many players from this team do you expect to return next year? So uh, let's look at it this way, opening day roster. And we, we gotta we gotta get out. This has gone too long. Yeah. But you, you wanna do this? You want me to you want me to hit it first? You run through, I'll let you know if I disagree. All right, so players. Uh, look at this question again. How many players from this team? I'm going to su- suggest that's this uh, all season long, the team all season long. So, yeah. ta- Tyler Stevenson, Joey Votto, Jonathan India, Kyle Farmer will be back. That's four. Um, Nixon Zales, five. Aristides Aquino, six. He's going to be back. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, TJ Friedel, seven. Mm-hmm. Jake Fraley's eight. Jose Barrero. Yeah, I'm going to say Jose Barrero's nine. Can I have some Alejo Lopez, please? I'm I'm going to go Alejo Lopez ten. I think he's on the opening day roster. Um, so I'm going to say ten. That's where I'm. Other going pitchers, to go. maybe. Um, oh, hold on, hold on. Luis? Luis, what about Spencer Steer? That's yeah. eleven, right? I think that's safe. Okay. There we go. So pitchers, go give me the pitchers. Um, other than the ones he mentioned, he said Lodolo, Ashcraft, Green. Um, I think Luis Sessa. Has to be mentioned. He mentioned Diaz. I think we can all agree on that. Reaver, San Martin. 
Um, I, think he's, I think he's earned a way into the bullpen next year. I agree. Yeah. Um, Justin Dunn. Sessa, I don't think Sessa has a contract, so he may not be here, but uh, otherwise, oh, yes. you might be right. You might be right. And then maybe Justin that's, Dunn. Yeah, Justin Dunn. Yeah. That might kind of be where it stops. Uh, I saw some stuff today that Joe Kuno might have an argument to be around, but I'm not using the last few minutes of this podcast to talk about Joe Kuno. So. Yeah. I, I, I would also, I would also add probably some guys on the injured list. Jeff Hoffman's probably back. Jeffrey. Uh, Vlad, yeah. Jeffrey. Right. That guy. Vladimir Gutierrez. Probably back. Um, Connor, Connor Overton. Overton. Boom. Yeah. So. Tony Santion. So. TJ Antone. Oh, yeah. Please, I hope TJ Antone's back. And uh, and Lucas Sims, please. Lucas the Sims, answer, yeah. Yeah, the answer is probably more than <laughs> the current roster on this. If you go look at the uh, 26 or 28 man roster right now, is mostly. They're, they're not good. But uh, players that played all season long, I think our answer is probably almost all of the opening day roster are going to be composed of players that will play for the team this year. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. Yeah. Um, that's, it's got, I, it kind of hit home right there when we just lifted off like 20 people and the team <laughs> is bad. Let's just run it back. Let's run it back. It's fine. Let's, let's oh, run fine. it back. <laughs> Nate, do you have any final thoughts for us? No, no. Somehow though, I did have fun. Um, great questions this week from our friends at patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy. And, uh, yeah, next week we'll, uh, we'll do it again. Let's do it again. All right. So listen, uh, thank you to everyone for listening and supporting the Riverfront. Please remember, subscribe to the show either on YouTube, if you're watching there or in your favorite podcast app, whatever, however you're listening to us uh, right now, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're at Riverfront Cincy, all those platforms. Once again, huge thank you to our supporters at patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy. This show would not be possible without the support of our Patreon family. We'd love for each of you to join us in our uh, ridiculous hijinks over there. Patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy. Or you can click the link down in the show notes. Nate, man, this was, this was a good time. It always is. For Nate Dotson and Ian Jabot. This is Chad Dawson saying, so long, everyone.